0: Uh, to Paul and the worship team last week I forgot to say thank you to uh, Rod and the guys in the cheap seats up there um, and if it wasn't for Rod my mic wouldn't be working right now and I'd be shouting and as you can tell my voice is not quite normal so thank you Rod very much um, several years ago my son Ian was playing peewee football and I got to know one of his assistant coaches really well a guy named David Melhorn who's a great plumber by the way if you ever need one but um Uh, showed up early at a game and uh, Dave said that he uh, he was going to be running the game that day that he was the only coach he was going to be taking care of the team I said are you nervous he said no I'd only be nervous if the head coach was sitting in the stands and I know exactly how he feels now well it's Father's Day uh, happy father's day to all the dads uh, i'm convinced that the holy spirit is moving and speaking to us a lot of what pastor chris just prayed you're going to hear again maybe in a slightly different david hooey way but you are going to hear it and it's been on my heart for a few days now so that's just to me verification there was a child once about six or seven years old little boy was asked uh, how would you describe father's day and he thought about it for a little while he wrinkled up his eyes and wasn't quite sure and then he said you know I guess Father's Day is just like Mother's Day you just don't have to spend as much money (laughs) so what I've noticed in church over the years is the tendency on Mother's Day to exalt the role of the mother in the family as we should mothers are encouraged They're praised, lifted up as the most important person in the home. And we should thank the Lord for godly mothers. I thank the Lord for mine every day. I just got to see her uh, last week. It was a joy to see her again. And then there's Father's Day. I think it's difficult for dads to not feel woefully inadequate when we come to church and we hear a sermon on our Heavenly Father. You see, I don't think that there's a person alive who doesn't have a some level of competitiveness inside of them. So how does your average dad hope to measure up? Consequently, I think dad leaves feeling a bit like a failure. So dads, today I have two pieces of good news for you. The first one is, is that I want to reassure you that you are special too, that God loves you. And I am thankful for you. The second is that I'm going to try my hardest today to not make you feel and walk out of here like you don't measure up. On the contrary, my goal is to remind you of how important you are and that you too are a child of the perfect heavenly Father. I think on days like this, Pastor Chris uh, preached on Mother's Day and he called it a Hallmark holiday and, and, and I think there's a certain amount of truth to that um i think on days like this we we just focus on that one role i got up this morning and the first thing that my wife said to me was happy father's day so i'm i'm a father right and that that's it but i forget that i'm also still a son i'm also still a brother i'm also still a friend and all of that as well so as dads i want us to try to remember that we're also still sons we're also still sons of that perfect heavenly father a role model for us but not one that we are trying to be in competition or should be in competition with there's a tendency in modern television shows over the years to depict dad when he's even around as the oldest child or the biggest kid the long suffering wife is the only true grown up in the house And I think that this message has been a damaging one. I've been a dad for 29 years, right, Marty? 29 of my 50 years over half my life. And it is a difficult job. That's no reflection on my children. It's just tough. My mother used to collect poetry books by an author named Helen Steiner Rice. This is... Again, another one of those examples of useless information stuck in my head. But I remember those books, and I remember trying to memorize one about dads when I was a child, and it began this way, fathers are wonderful people, too little understood, and we do not sing their praises as often as we should. That's sort of a Dr. Seuss kind of rhythm to it. But our society has marginalized the importance of fathers. And maybe there's a reason for this. Consider this startling statistic. In 1960, only 8% of the households were single-parent households. But by 2012, that number had jumped to 24.5%. And that was 2012. That's a shock when I read that. Many sociologists refer to fatherlessness as an epidemic. And they say that that epidemic is ultimately responsible for almost 78% of the problems in our society. Dads, today's sermon on this Father's Day is not about telling you how to do a better job as a father. Today, I want to talk to you about the most wonderful Father of them all. I want to talk to you about the one who Jesus referred to as my Father 53 times in the Gospels. But when Jesus talked about the Father, he did not just call him my Father. This is where I want you to put aside your competitiveness. He also called God our Father some 21 times in the Gospels. Jesus clearly shows us that those who believe in him share the same relationship with God in heaven that he himself shares. And if you do some research, you'll find that it gets even better than that. It's like an infomercial. But wait, there's more. Jesus calls God your father. 21 times in the gospel as well. Going back to that idea of context that we talked in a little bit about last week, this was a completely radical idea for his Jewish audience. This idea of calling God father would have been foreign to them. The Jews had dozens of names for God. Anytime they needed anything particular, there was a given name that usually dictated that need. A few examples. If they had a need in their life, they would call on Jehovah Jireh. Genesis 22:14. it means the Lord will provide. If they were anxious, they would call on Jehovah Shalom. That comes from Judges 6.24. It means the Lord our peace. If they were lonely or afraid, they might call on Jehovah Shema. In Ezekiel 48.35, that means the Lord is there. If they need leadership, they would call on Jehovah Roi. Psalm 23, 1, we all know that one. The Lord is our shepherd. And finally, if they were sick, they would call on Jehovah Rapha. Exodus 15, 26, it means the Lord, our healer. And there are dozens of more examples. But I want you to take a second, and I want you to think of the dads that you have known in your life. Not just your own earthly father, other dads, perhaps uncles, perhaps grandfathers. You know, I was sitting here during worship and every once in a while something hits me and I know it's God. It doesn't happen all the time. But considering where we are and considering what it was, you'd have a hard time convincing me it wasn't. And the Lord said, I'm calling an audible. I want you to stop And I want you to stress this. There are people who struggle with today. There are people that have pain with today. There are people that really suffer with today because not everybody had dad growing up. Some don't have dad now. You know, Father's Day is is bittersweet for me at this point. I lost my father in 2013. So I think of him... And I say, Happy Father's Day, Dad. But I also have the joy of spending Father's Day with my kids as a father. So it's bittersweet. But there are some people that just aren't that fortunate. There's a rift. There's a distance. I'm also lucky because I have a great father-in-law who I've called Dad from the day that he gave me his daughter, whether he wanted me to or not. I didn't even give him the option. And he's an amazing guy. Do we assign roles to dads in our lives the way that the Jewish people assigned these terms to Jesus, or excuse me, to God? I I think we do. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. You think of your dad as a provider. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace dad made sure there was peace in our house if it was necessary Jehovah Shema the Lord is there I always felt secure when I was a child knowing that dad was home even if he was out in the garage working he knew he was there leadership our family trips were adventures because dad led the way dad did all the driving Uh, you know we stopped at the restaurants dad wanted to but dad was the leader he was the de facto leader on our family vacations Uh, thankfully my wife did most of the driving when we came back from florida on friday while i was working on this so this sermon was written at 75 miles an hour on (laughs) i-75 but it wasn't me um here's the thing though when we think about our dad's Present or absent, we are always reminded that no dad is perfect, no earthly dad. My dad certainly wasn't perfect by any stretch, and if he were here, he'd be nodding right now. Dad wasn't much for speaking in public. But my father was a good man. He was all those things. He was a provider and a protector and a leader. I thought about the word healer, and that kind of threw me for a minute, because Back in those days, you know, riding bikes without helmets and things like that, cuts and scrapes were always taken care of, for the most part, by mom, if we didn't do it ourselves. And then I was remembered very, very clearly in my mind, I remember this. My father picking up a comatose 14-year-old boy in his arms, dead weight, and dragging him to a car in the middle of the night and driving as fast as he could to get to the hospital. Two days later, I awoke, and they told me if my dad had been five minutes later, somebody else would be delivering a sermon right now. So I owe my dad my life, twice at least. I learned a lot from him. He was a good man, and we all learn a lot from our dads. But I also learned some things that I didn't want to do based on his imperfection. One thing that my dad never said was, I'm sorry. I don't know if that was a generational thing. He just didn't do it. If he felt bad, he would go out of his way to try to you know, make you feel better, that sort of thing, right? But he never said the words, I'm sorry. He only did it one time when I was about 15 years old. I remember it had something to do with teaching me how to drive. And I remember that my mom made him do it. And that's about all I really remember. Isn't that funny? I don't remember any of the specifics. But I do remember that he did it. And it was as uncomfortable for me to hear it as it was probably for him to say it. Because I just wasn't used to it. But I determined myself that if if and when I became a father, that I would make sure that I would be good about saying I'm sorry if I did something wrong. Because I am imperfect. I don't want my kids to ever think for a second that I am perfect. And I'm sure they could give you an hour-long dissertation on how they they know that for a fact. As a matter of fact, I'm going to embarrass my daughter because she's sitting over there. Alicia came into my life in a very special way. She came to us when she was 13 years old in the foster care system. And the very first night that she came to our home, I think the very first or second thing i said to her was i'm sorry i'm gonna mess this up at some point you remember that i'd never raised a daughter had no clue what i was getting into i had friends tell me taking on a 13 year old daughter with no experience was like jumping into a shark tank wearing a meat suit it's crazy Things turned out okay, but that was the first thing, and I made a point to do that because I had gotten in the habit of saying, I'm sorry. And it was because of knowing how important that was to hear. But we have a perfect father in God. So when an unbeliever comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, what happens to that person? They are born again, right? And at that instant that that person is brought into a very personal relationship with the God of the universe, they too gain a perfect father in God, don't they? Romans 8.15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, as sons, by whom we cry, Abba Father. Pastor Chris mentioned that word in his prayer, Abba Father. The word adoption, it literally means in their culture, to place as a son. That person instantly becomes a child of God in heaven. First John three one through two, that affirms that for us. You see, in adoption, when a son was brought into a family and adopted, they were given the exact same rights as a child who is born into that family naturally. Hallelujah for all of us. See, the Jews had no concept of God as father. They only saw him as Jehovah, the transcendent God. They could never have thought of God in any intimate term. But Jesus arrived and he called God father. It was a totally new concept. And you know, it even angered some of his critics. one of the most telling moments for me in scripture especially learning to be a pastor is very humbling is in Luke 11 1-4 through Jesus is praying and the apostles are witnessing this and there's this old adage that I learned a long time ago and I believe there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of truth to this and it says that if you if you want to be smart hang out with smart people right if you want to be successful hang out with successful people if you want to learn to be a good pastor you find somebody that's willing enough to shepherd you they even say if you want to be wealthy hang out with wealthy people and there's a certain amount of truth to that so the apostles are hanging out with Jesus all the time. They're witnessing everything he does. And here in Luke 11, 1 through 4, they say to him, Lord, teach us what? To pray. I'm going to save you a little bit of time. There is no place, and correct me if I'm wrong, in any other gospel or any place else in Scripture where the apostles approached Jesus and said, Lord, teach me how to preach it. Teach me how to get up on Sunday and deliver that message. One for the team. Nowhere. Nowhere do they say, teach me how to preach. Nowhere do they say, teach me anything. Here, teach me, teach us to pray. It goes back to what I was talking about last week when I first came up here. I was talking about the vertical and the horizontal. The vertical is what we do when we worship. The vertical is what we do when we pray. When we praise and we thank God. When we connect with the Lord. That's the vertical. The horizontal is this. This is me talking. This is you hopefully listening. Right? This is us interacting. This is fellowship. This is a beautiful thing when Pastor Chris sends an email out. Hey, we, you know, We need to do this memorial service. And people just, they stepped up in an amazing way. That's horizontal. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to shortchange that at all. But you would never do the horizontal if you didn't do the vertical. It's amazing the shape, isn't it? Do the vertical and then the horizontal. Teach us to pray, Lord. And so he says, Okay. Our Father art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Our Father. That word that Jesus used there was Abba. It's an Aramaic word. And the closest thing we can get in English is daddy. Fathers, I want you to think right now. Remember the power of that word when your kids call you that. What does that stir here for you? There's an intimacy. There's a sense of dependency. There is a love. Daddy. So what kind of daddy is God? They don't record anybody asking Jesus that anymore about that. Well, what do you mean daddy? What what kind of daddy? I mean, I've got an earthly daddy, and he's okay, but he's a little rough. He yells a lot. What kind of daddy is God? Well, Jesus proceeds to give us the perfect picture in one of the most familiar parables in Scripture We've always called it the parable of the prodigal son. But it's also known in some circles as the parable of the lovesick father. Now I want to caution you, and I've actually said this a lot in teaching kids over the years and in teaching some adults too. There is a danger in familiarity when somebody says, okay, I'm going to talk to you about a, in this case, Uh, one of the parables and you, you start to check out you can't help yourself because we know the story but there's a danger in that familiarity because you can miss details you can miss important things it starts out and he said there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the share of property that is coming to me and he divided his property between them. That's all it says. But wait a second. He just went to his father and said, uh, Dad, I would like to have my part of the inheritance now. I don't want to wait for you to die. That could take forever. I want the money now. Could you imagine the audacity of that question? Hey, Dad. I know I'm going to get something when you die. I would like it now. Because I would like to have it. I'm impatient. And what does it say the dad does? He divided his property between them. But I didn't give it to him. I sometimes wonder when we pursue things outside of God's interest for us, Is it because we're looking for things that we know we'll get someday, but we don't want to wait? Are we trying to get part of that inheritance now rather than waiting for the time of the inheritance? Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. No money, no place to stay. So what's he do? He went, he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs not just any animal feed pigs now I'm assuming and maybe this is a wrong assumption that this audience that Jesus is speaking to is predominantly Jewish right pigs were unclean and this guy who came from a family of some means is now feeding unclean animals because that's the level of desperation that he has gotten to And quite honestly, I think for many of us, we need to get to that level of desperation sometimes before we realize that it's time to turn back and head home. It says he came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father i have sinned against heaven and before you i am no longer worthy to be called your son treat me as one of your hired servants now i imagine in my mind that he didn't just come up with this and say okay that's good i think there was a process because i know at points in my life when i had to apologize to my parents Usually on the way to that apology, there was a lot of editing and rehearsal going on in my head. And he had a bit of a journey to take to get back home. So I can, I can envision this son walking, Father, I've sinned. Wait, no, that's not good. Father, I've sinned against heaven. Well, and you. Okay, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. And it just kind of kept going and going, right? And then you rehearse it over and over because you don't want to mess it up. You've got one shot at this. When I was in high school, my senior year, it's confession time. I got somehow I got to spend the night at my friend Rob's house. It was on a weeknight. The plan was, because I drove Rob to school with my car. That we were gonna I think we were studying or something. We were gonna get up, get in my car, go to school. And uh, and then I would just drive home that day. You know, it's just staying at his house rather than my house. But we stayed up too late. And Rob's mom was a lot more lax about rules than my mom was. And so Rob told his mom that morning, he said, Mom, I, I, we don't want to go to school. So Rob's mom called the school for him. She waited five minutes. She called the school for me. So I was out sick that day. I thought, this is great, Right because I can stay, hang out with Rob. We can play a little, you know, some video games, right? I don't know that my kids have ever heard this story. And uh, (laughs) so I got, um, I figured I'd get in the car and I'd drive home and be home just like I had been at school all day. No problem, right? However, one of the secretaries in the front office was a friend of my mom's. And knowing my medical history and everything, was a little concerned and conversation came up and she said, I'm sorry to hear that David was sick today from school. I got a phone call at Rob's house. This is before the days of cell phones. It's about a half an hour before I was planning on leaving. And all I remember is Rob holding the phone up and saying, Dave, it's your mom. And my heart just fell. I love my mother. Very, very close with my mother. And the last thing I wanted to do was disappoint her, first of all. Second of all, I didn't want to get in trouble. Because my mom was a very strict disciplinarian. So I went to the phone, and I said, hey, listen, Ma, that's all I got out. She said, come home now. Click. It's a 10-minute drive from Rob's house to my house. It took me 20 minutes to get there. So I did a lot of rehearsing on the way. Mom, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll cut the grass for a week or, you know, for a month. I'll... Uh, I'll clean the the house. I'll, you know, I was trying to come up with all the penance ahead of time. Just like this son, I've sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What do we just read in Romans? We just talking about here when you were even when you were adopted you became a son i'm no longer worthy to be called your son just let me be a slave just let me be in your vicinity how many of us have ever gotten to that point where we believed that that was our relationship with god after the fact i'm not worthy anymore i have really goofed up here this is it just just let me hang out at church let me be around christians Because I'm not, I just don't measure up. I can't measure up anymore. So he arose. It says he came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Side note, Jewish men don't run. They don't. This dad ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The son began the apology. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Each one of those things is symbolic. Why the shoes? Because slaves went barefoot. You're a part of this family. You're a free man. Shoes on his feet. The ring. How many of you remember, uh, a few weeks ago, I think, Pastor Chris was talking about the seal. When the family would do a business transaction as a family, there was no credit card back in those days. There was no checkbook, but that's the closest equivalent. If you were... A member of that family and you had the authority you could make the transaction they would put the wax down and this ring you would seal the deal this young man that didn't deserve anything because he'd already squandered his part of the family's inheritance was given back the family checkbook and told you are still a part of this family you still have authority here Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then it makes a point to say, and they began to celebrate. I think that's important because that's the reaction that happens in heaven. Anyone that's ever been away, when you come back, there is going to be a celebration. Make no mistake. Don't allow yourself to be fooled into thinking that you're not welcome back. Maybe I can be a slave. No, no, no. Your Heavenly Father, the model is right here. He's looking for you. When you're still a long way off, when you're still just kind of considering, would they even think about it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He will run to you and embrace you, kiss you and welcome you back to the family. What a beautiful picture that is. Then we get to the older brother. The older brother is us, the ones that stay out of trouble, at least since high school. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. So his father does what? He comes out to him, and he entreated him. He said, But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your commandment, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't even refer to him as a family member, he doesn't say my brother. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? He said, son, pay attention to this, please. Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead, and is alive. He is—he was lost, and is found. You are always with me. I had somebody ask me once, kind of off the cuff, we were talking about things, and they had read that that somebody on their deathbed had. Given their heart to Jesus. And this was a, a, a Christian friend of mine. He said, that doesn't seem fair. He, you know, he just kind of lived his life the way he wanted to live his life. But then he comes to Jesus right before the very end, and he gets the same thing we do. Well, there's many examples in the Bible of why that is. But the important thing, I think, is this, okay? God has always loved us. And cared for us and taking care of us. But this child that was lost was found. This is the father who's going to keep pursuing each and every one of us as much as we need to be pursued. It's not a competition, Dads. Please don't walk out of here today saying, Wow, I've lost my temper with my kids so many times. No. Please don't. It's not that. It's a reminder that our Heavenly Father is perfect in how He feels about us, even when we're imperfect, whether that's as a dad or as a mom or anything. It's a model of who He is. It's not a reminder of how we don't measure up. If you want to have a reminder, just be reminded of how much you're loved. Last year, uh, Chris Tomlins, contemporary Christian uh, artist, he released a song. It became very, very popular on contemporary Christian radio. The song's called Good, Good Father. And if you've heard it, you know that the lyrics are pretty simple. And I won't sing them. Don't, don't panic. Anymore. I'm mic'd up right now. Everyone's was oh no, it's going to turn into karaoke. No, it's not. But the lyrics are You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. I have seen grown men in church singing that song with tears just pouring out of their eyes at the truth of that. That simple song. That truth. You are a good, good father. And I'm loved by you? Me? The guy that just skips school in high school? Yes. It's amazing, and it's a powerful, powerful message. As earthly fathers, we are privileged to have the opportunity to try to model God's love to the best of our ability. And that's all we can do, is try to give our kids a glimpse of the greatness of God's love, as only a father can. Until our kids fall into that same relationship with God, That we have, in which case we probably won't measure up. But that's all right. Because at that point we're brothers and sisters in Christ, aren't we? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, just saying those words, Heavenly Father. How many times I've said that and just glossed over it. That you are so good to all of us. Thank you for the truth that you are pursuing us. Thank you for the truth that you love us so much that we can't get too far from you. Lord, we love you. Lord, I'm thankful for My father, I'm thankful for my children who made me a father. Lord, I'm thankful for all the dads that I have known and met in my life. Lord, would you remind us today that we're not in competition with you, that we are fortunate because we are in your embrace. We call you Abba, Father, Daddy. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.